Hey there, I'm Eric J. Olson. And I'm Kevin Daisy. You're listening to the Managing Partners Podcast, where we interview top lawyers about how they're growing their firms. Hey, everybody. It is Eric J. Olson. I am your host today for another live episode of the Managing Partners Podcast. In this podcast, we interview America's top managing partners to find out how they're running their law firms, how they're growing their law firms, and what they're doing to keep their case pipeline full. And today I have with me, Lou Licata. Hey, Lou. Hi, Eric. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for making the time. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Let me introduce uh, uh, you to the audience. Uh, Bio here. So Lou is the co-managing partner of Getzberg Licata. He's focused on serving as the chief legal advisor to CEOs and business owners throughout the world. He has provided analysis and experience with complex issues, including global strategy, new market entry, strategic vision, governance, risk management, crises management, and day-to-day problem solving. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Well, besides what I just read, can you tell the audience a little bit more about you and your firm? Sure. I was one of those rare people that had the disease very early on about being a lawyer. So that's all I ever wanted to be. And I went right into law school and came out of law school and started working for firms. When I went to law school, I actually wanted to be an international transactional lawyer. But at that time, the cross-border private transactions really didn't exist the way they do today. Come full circle, after I started my own firm in 1990, the uh, internet opened up and so did a lot of other countries. And all of a sudden, I started doing the international cross-border transactions that I like to do. And so my firm's, you know, 31 years old now. It was about 30 years old when I met Alex. And he was running a similar track to me in terms of his focus, his client base, his values, his practice management philosophy. So we merged. So our current firm, Gertzberg Lakata, has really only been officially in existence since April 1. But Alex and I have parallel tracks. So merging has really been the classic merger of one plus one equals three. We represent entrepreneurs and their ventures, and we focus on what we call freedom and growth, the opportunity to provide owners with uh, as much freedom as possible to do the things they want to do and as much opportunity to grow. We do that not only through our law firm, but through our other ventures in the enterprise. Well, congratulations on 31 years of business. That's incredible. Yep, thank I you. would imagine after 30 years of running your own firm without without any kind of merger or anything, doing that 30 years later, I I would imagine there had to have been a a little bit of shock in now having like a full-fledged partner. What was that like for you? Well, I started my firm uh, with partners and that only lasted about six years. And then I had no partners and then I had joint venture type relationships. But, you know, I think with uh, 30 years, you get a lot of perspective and maturity. And so you start to realize the things that make, especially when you have clients who you're advising on partnerships and ownership structures, you start to see the components and the elements of a successful partnership. And so it's like one of those things that you look for it. It's hard to find, but once you find it, you see, you recognize it when you see it. And Alex and I, like we met, talked and both recognized that we had found probably, you know, the unicorn we were looking for. And so it really was more than about getting to the details of what it would look like to operate a business on the day-to-day basis, figuring out if the gaps were, where the gaps were, if they were too wide to bridge, or if not, how to bridge them. And, and it was so easy. It was one of the easiest things I've done. And he feel, he has communicated that he feels the same way. 
it's still a little bit of a culture shock. I mean, you're so used to making decisions and just running with them. I think we both had to like check ourselves with, you know what, I need to run this by my partner or I should ask my partner for input. But you know, there've been a couple of times where I've done something or Alex has done something and then we've gone to each other and said, hey, listen, I'm sorry I did yeah. this, but, but it's, it's been nothing really too difficult. And I think the other part of any good relationship is the ability to problem solve and work through conflict. So, you know, we've been together six months and we've had a couple of bumps uh, in the road where we've had to then say, well, how do we work through this? And like most things, how you do it is sometimes more important than what you do. And so we've, uh, we've been lucky enough to have a good process and good ways to solve problems. I would imagine that a lot of the managing partners that are watching or listening are considering partnering up. And it's not like, you know, with Alex, you had an associate lawyer that you then groomed on the way right. up. It was, right. it was a merger, you know, basically of equals. Yeah. So what kind of, uh, you know, top two or three things would you managing partners who are considering doing this should look yeah. for in a partner? I, I think the number one, and you hear about this a lot, I and mean, it's really kind of divided into components, but it's the culture and the core values. And I think that the core values are the most important because that's what drives your culture. And the core values, what was interesting was I had four core values, Alex had four core values, two of them were the same, and the other two were similar. And we ended up, when we finished up doing our collective core values, we both knew they were consistent with what our merged entity would look like. And then to follow through with that, with the culture is, what is it we want to, what are the priorities? What do we make important? What are the things that, you know, you could talk about quality of work and performance and results, but it's really, it's a little bit more than that. It's, you know, it's the idea that clients never has to ask us what's going on with their case or their legal matter. It's everybody sharing that philosophy of what's important in the, in the workplace. I think that's the, those two things have made us successful and have made it really fun. Yeah. And, and I've heard the, the phrase before that culture is the way things are done when the manager is not watching, right? It's just the way things are done. Yeah. And I would imagine when it comes to core values, you're not looking for at the same words per se, but you're looking for things that are drastically different, right? So if one side, their core value is uh, help people and the other is make as much money as possible. Yeah. There's something about helping people. That's probably going to be a problem, right? Right. Yeah. I, I think that's true. And there are core values that aren't, there, there was an interesting guy I heard talk some time ago. He had a boat business and long story short was it was totally unsuccessful. He started over and he started with core values and he ended up hiring just on core values and he got rid of a lot of people that were not good for his business. And those people all went to work for his competitor. And he said his business was successful, but so was his competitors. And when he looked at why, it was because his competitors had taken on all these people who had the same core values. Like all they were interested in were certain things that were inconsistent with what mm. this guy was talking. But it was, again, it was, it was agreement and alignment on how to do business. So yeah, it's, it's funny how that plays out, but yeah, yeah. it's relevant. Uh, so as, as a law firm that focuses on a lot of uh, business transactions yeah. and business clients, yeah, referrals, I'm sure are a huge part of getting new clients. Besides referrals, are there different tactics that you use to attract clients and to, to bring them into your, your system and then eventually convert them into clients? Definitely. I think sharing content through webinars, podcasts, uh, blogs. I, I think the two that we've used the most, I mean, Alex used to do a podcast, but the two we use the most are the webinars and the, and the blogs. 
And so we push content out into those platforms and they result in drawing people who have interests in those areas or, or issues in those areas. And we start to become you know, thought leaders or content managers in those areas. And eventually that leads to discussion and engagement. I mean, it's just, it's just a natural byproduct of that. Um, the other area I, I found is that trade groups or, or business organizations that are compatible with our business practice. So we not only join those organizations, but we're active in those organizations. Yeah. And so I, I see a lot of firms place people in you know, the small business organizations or in the entrepreneurs organizations, but those are placements. Those aren't membership activity. You know, they're not coming in as members they are coming in as third party, you know, vendors. yeah, vendors. And, and so th there's always, and I, what, here's what I see all the time. Guys show up and they try to work the room and it takes about six months to really even get to know anybody. And then they're out and somebody else comes in. What, what we have found is that if you believe in an organization and it's consistent with the things that you want to do, you should show up, participate, and those opportunities then present themselves because people get to know you and they get to know who you are and they get to know your values. They start to trust and respect you and you're the first call. You know, I've got a problem. I should call Lou. And they call and they say, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but I, I trust that you know who does if you don't. And that's, we always talk about, we want to be the first call. We want to be the first call from our current clients and from prospects that think that, you know, we might be able to help. Yeah. yeah. On the uh, networking, that, that is a, a good source. I agree with you, uh, but it is also time consuming, right? It is. That's and, the and other so reason why, it, by the way, that's the other reason why it's not just about being a placement, you know, that because it does take time. So it should be something that is worth spending that time. Agreed. It, it requires the commitment over time. And then each time you go, the time itself, you know, two, three hours. And yeah, what I found is that you get your, if you will, the, your biggest bang for the buck with a professional organization. If you do something like join a subcommittee or the board, but that's time commitment, right? Sure. It should be a regular meetings, but that's when you really get to know the people. You do. You know, I've also, it's amazing. So, so those opportunities also provide value back to your client base. So for example, there's a cozy COSE council of smaller enterprises. They are, connected to the National Small Business Association, NSBA. So if you're active with COSI and the NSBA, you're learning about all these political advocacy issues that are related to small business. Well, I get to take that right back to my client base. I could That's say, right, hey, okay. by the way, there's stuff going on right now that you need to pay attention to that deals with your business or deals with regulation or deals with tax issues. So it's about being a resource back to your clients too if you're in the right organization, if you're just showing up to try to get business, you're not connecting at that level. Yeah. You, you need to be a resource and you need to be helpful and uh, really almost a friend in a situation like that. If you go in with an agenda, then yeah. you basically get one shot at, at trying to, to get someone's interest to do business with you. And then, and then right. you're going to move on to the next person. But what you want is that continuing relationship. Right. The other thing that you mentioned was things like blogging. Yes. How are you going about handling that? Is that something that you have like you're writing them? You have other attorneys writing them? You have uh, you outsource them somehow? Yeah. So we have a very strong marketing director I mean, she's responsible for coordinating consistent with our uh, marketing strategy, the topics that we want to write about. And then she looks for 
either our younger associates to put in some time to write some content, which then our senior people will review and bless. And then when we post it, both get byline credit. But there's also a lot of, especially in our industry, there's a lot of canned content out there. So you can access some of that canned content and then you know, spend 30 minutes making sure that the revisions are consistent with the message and the locality or the jurisdiction that you're trying to communicate. So, you know, reps and warranties. I mean, it's the same across the board. You can find a hundred articles on reps and warranties, but if we decide that, you know, we want to, we want to focus on arbitration as part of reps and warranties and terms and conditions, you know, and we say, look, here's the standard content, but let's revise it just to make it personal or unique to our client base. That saves us some time, that content's out there. But again, we rely on our marketing director to kind of triage that. Here's stuff we can just out of the box use. Here's stuff that we need. And then we have part of that of our blogging is a topic we call fast law. And fast law is that a decision comes out, let's say when President Biden decided that uh, he was going to do mandatory vaccination Mm -hmm. requirements. That was something that we thought, you know, we got to get this out. We don't know where it's going to end up, but it's something to put on everybody's radar. And so, you know, we have our labor and employment people put it together very quickly. Here's what's going on. Here's the potential issues that you should be aware of. Just start thinking about it going forward in terms of how you want to plan for hiring or COVID policy revision or whatever it is you want to do. How do you put that out? Is that like a social media post and then your yeah, blog so, as well? So it'll be a combination of an immediate post uh, through social media, LinkedIn. And then it might, uh, if it's timely, it might be part of our newsletter, which we call The Fix. And so that's the other part I would say from standpoint of success is that our newsletter has been really successful. But I don't think, I mean, when I, 20 years ago, I had a great newsletter and it was marginally successful. And the reason was, is it wasn't connected to anything else. And I think what makes our newsletter so successful is that it's integrated with LinkedIn and social media and webinar and, you know, the podcast that we used to do or, or now the, the blogging. So it's part of a bigger universe. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. It'd be, uh, be kind of cool to do like a uh, three things you need to know this week video. Put that out as like a TikTok. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think we're trying to head more towards... I mean, you know, some of the things you, you play with and you're like, well, how much video content do we want? But that's a really, those are good ideas to do things like that. So you got you know, the blogging, you have the in-person networking, uh, all those hopefully lead to referrals. What about in the last few years? What is something that used to work very well for you that just no longer seems to work anymore to, as far as attracting new clients? That's a great question that I don't know that I can immediately respond to because i'll tell you why because it 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 like when when you're younger right you take a lunch with everybody and you show up at every event and you you talk everywhere but as you you know start to time is time is limited you start to the hone in and you start to see where your success is and you start to see what works and then you keep doing what works so um in the last couple years the one thing i do miss and i think that even though our webinars are, I would call them successful, they are nothing like being live in person. If I did an event live in person, I would walk away with two, at least two people every time who would need something that we would then turn that into a client relationship. And with the webinars, there's so many of them, right? There's just so many of them out there. We try to make our content very unique and specific. We try to drive butts to the seats. 
but you don't get the same interaction. You don't get the same Q&A. You don't get the same emotional connection that you do when you're in person. And so there's a, I think there's a longer timeline. If you do just webinars, and this is why having a marketing team is so important. If you do just webinars, I think it's like shooting into the woods and hoping that a bullet hits something. You've got to follow up. You have to connect with the people who attended the webinar, even if it's just to provide them with the slides and find out if they have any questions and then get them on your newsletter list or find out what specifically they're struggling with. And, you know, we use Salesforce as, as part of like one of our tools to gather information and to look for opportunities to connect with prospects. So I, I think that's that would be the one thing that has become harder. The in-person dialogue on seminars versus the webinar has been been more difficult. That's a really good observation because, you know, with the webinar, it's much more efficient and potentially you could speak to a lot more people at the same time. But yeah, that that connection is just not there quite as much. Right. So like as an example, I've been looking at you here. right? So I'm pointing down because you're right. You're you're below my camera. But so my eyes are having to go between the camera and and your eyes. But I've been trying to look at your eyes this whole time. But you probably don't feel like I have been. Right. Right. And, And yeah, go ahead. But but when you're in person, you know, when you're talking to a group of people, like I don't know about um, you, probably are the same way. But I'm looking, I'm like having individual conversations sure. with people, and I'm connecting with them, and that's how I feel most comfortable is by looking at people in the eye. But when I, I would imagine, because it's happened to me in an audience, when you do that, you feel a connection there. Absolutely. You feel like the person is talking to you, not just broadcasting out. That's a big difference. Absolutely. And after the after the event, you always get three or four people who come up and actually have a conversation with you. You never get that in a webinar. You might get a little bit of dialogue back and forth after there, maybe some chat room conversation, but not like you do when you're at one of those and somebody comes up and says, you know what? I don't know if, I don't know if you can help me on this or not. And they start to tell you the situation. And then you say, look, uh, we just had that situation. Here are the three things we thought talked about and did. If there's any way I can help. And then next thing you know, you're like my business card. Yeah. And you're talking and you're, you're helping them. Yeah, You know, I miss that part of it a lot. I, I don't know if we're going to get back to that or not. I think we will. And actually, I think now is the time, right? So we're recording this at the very beginning of November. And you know that the world is getting back to normal. The numbers are going down for this Delta variant. Sure. And I think that we all have an opportunity right now to at least start to talk to these professional organizations, our, our name out there that we're interested in speaking to groups of people as they come back yeah. in person. Yeah, now, the yeah. groups may be smaller in the very beginning, you know, for the next couple of months, but certainly okay. I would imagine by early 2022, January, February, yeah. assuming the COVID cases continue to decline and the vaccine continues to, you know, get out in the population, that's going to be a really good opportunity for folks like us to get in front of yeah. groups of people. I agree with you. I hope we are right. <laughs> as do I. Well, yeah. Lou, that was really interesting. I appreciate it. If someone wants to reach out to you, if they have questions or they want to connect, or maybe they have a referral for you, what's a yeah. good way to connect with you? Well, you can either through my through our website, GertzbergLakata.com, or you can catch me on LinkedIn, Louis Lakata. It's pretty easy to find me on LinkedIn and send me a message or ask to connect. Those are the easiest ways. And LinkedIn does work for him. That's how we connect. Yeah, that's how we met, right. That's right. Yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good at checking and following up. And there's a lot. LinkedIn has been a nice platform. It's worked. It's worked well. 
Well, it is pretty handy when they send you an email saying, hey, this person just sent you a connection request. So you don't have to go into LinkedIn too often right. to check it. They deliver it. That's right. I right, well, appreciate it. Hey, everybody, if you would like to check out other episodes like this, our entire backlog is at ArrayLaw.com slash podcast. Each episode is tagged by practice area and by state, so you can find exactly what you're looking for. And if you're a managing partner looking for digital marketing for your law firm, check out my agency at ArrayLaw.com. We offer websites, SEO, online advertising, and social media. Lou, thanks again. Thank you, Eric. Appreciate it.